Our second reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And it's on the first page of your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. We celebrate the written word of scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. Almighty God, open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to your scripture's meaning and commit us to its path. Amen. At about five of this morning, it looked like I would be preaching to the choir alone. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I first began to discern God's other face during my childhood. Later in adulthood, I learned to discern God in Christ in the face of other people. But in my youth, I was enchanted by the other face of God, found in the woods, lakes, snows, and breezes of my home state in northern Michigan. There I discerned a spirit bounteously and wonderfully clothed. I fell asleep to bullfrogs calling forth mates with staccatos of muted tubas and woke to the daffy hilarity of loons at first dawn. I would hike a trail among giant white pines, making a final turn toward a lake that emerged shimmering with morning sunlight dappling the turquoise ripples stirred up by the open breeze. At other times, I would hike alongside a shallow stream, its currents running over smooth copper-colored stones, so to make plinking sounds like an Indonesian gamelan. And along the banks of sloshy bogs stood formal elms, maples, and aspens whose quaking leaves matched semaphore with whispers. The air smelled of dank pine and moist mushrooms and the rain that drummed on my bedroom window or tapped on the flaps of my tent under the sky brought a tickling freshness to the breeze. And on spring afternoons, I would lie in my ba on my back in a meadow's deep grass and milkweed, searching the billowy clouds for the kind of art that the sky's wind makes against the vivid blue. These sensations and more filled me with a sense of poignancy and awe. As a youth, I was awake to the other face of God, inviting me as by a whistling breeze. I lived inside a privileged child's enchantment. As I grew into young adulthood, my enchantment with nature ebbed. As I turned 20, 
I began to be caught up in the swirl of society and soon was beset by the gloom of chaos and rejection. Like so many, I was tempted to consider nature as a place of unpredictability that withheld its wisdom and its bounty. My training academically in ecological economics found scarcity in natural resources and that that scarcity was the primary condition that humanity found itself. In my efforts to accumulate money, goods, and experience, I found there was never enough. I attributed to this natural scarcity and insufficiency of the environment to provide me with the American cultural ideal of the good life. And yet, the promptings of the spirit returned. When I considered starting a family, I began to regret my selfishness and lack of gratitude for all the world that had given me. I tried reading the Bible, and I stumbled across the Ten Commandments, and I accepted them, I recognized them, as the authentic directives of a holy God. And during this reading, the Spirit, which in my youth was the invisible other face of God, took hold of me like a gale. My whole body trembled and quaked. My thoughts were filled with, you are surely blessed and forgiven. And the Spirit became personal for me. The Spirit has continued to act in my life as a kind of propelling force, a wind that harmonizes my personal experience of God's goodness, purpose, and beauty with God's intention for me to act. I find that the Spirit blows where it will, without forecast, to interrogate my deepest schemes and desires, redirecting me toward a moral insurgency that seeks the flourishings of all beings. The Spirit transforms me from an obstinate and inert self-creation into a muddy blur and dynamic swarm of God-driven purpose. It is the Spirit, the fragments of the sky, as we read this morning, it is the spirit that becomes the unifying, invigorating rebellion against my tendency to sit still. And the Holy Spirit is calling me now to snap out of my moral inertia regarding the ways humanity is destroying creation. Our reading this morning from the opening to the book of Genesis describes breath as the other face of God, inhabiting the sky at creation, brooding and hovering over the primordial deep sea. This picture of creation is dynamic, but not yet riven by violence or chaos. Later in the biblical narrative, chaos does enter into creation in the form of human history. The land comes to displace the garden in the unfolding of scripture 
as humans strive for control and sovereignty absent of God. In my judgment, alienated humanity comes to consider nature as the root cause of its destiny to die. And in some perverse yet unconscious madness has come to see nature as an enemy, unthinkingly making war against the sky by humanity's economy of carbon-fueled haste, haste monetized by fire sales of extraction, exploitation, and short-term thinking. Earth and sky hatred seems to me to stem from our belief that nature is death-dealing. But I believe, rather, that it is the rampant and ill-considered scales of consumerism and fossil fuel combustion that are leading toward our planet's death. We have only the vaguest hope that somehow we will live on in the memory of the Earth's scorching. We may have already run out of options. It will certainly get worse. And so many of us are in deep grief and despair. Our first, morning, this, our first reading this morning was difficult to hear. But I chose it because it gives voice to grief. It is the grief that ancient Israel felt at the disruption of the world they loved and the world from which they were displaced, Jerusalem. Let's listen to some of these words again. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. From on high, the Lord sent fire. It went deep into my bones. The Lord spread a net for my feet. The Lord turned me back. The Lord has left me stunned, faint all day long. These words picture the despair of a society which has neglected its creator and the sources of its ongoing creating sustenance. And I believe this lamentation by the prophet Jeremiah and ancient Israel offers a pattern for how we inside today's global heating calamity may express our shock and deep grief to God at the displacements that if not we, but our, if not we, but our children may suffer and perhaps probably will suffer. In this ongoing but slowly developing devastation of earth and sky, lament is a valid and restorative spiritual practice and pattern for our prayers. The Book of Lamentation witnesses that the people of God may and often do go through periods of profound historical grief and dark despair. 
And the book of Lamentations allows us to to allow lament to flow from our anguished throats and lips. We can enable our communities to patiently hear out those who lament, to accompany and surround those who are grieving and in despair. I propose the best response to despair is not false hope, nor throwing in the towel and living for self alone, but rather our accompaniment of lament by our faith. Now, a clerical note this morning. Uh, This morning completes my decarbonizing church doctoral project here at First Pres. And I want to thank you all for hosting this project and helping me shape a message that I hope to extend outward with some teammates who are working with me in the interfaith community. And at this morning's Sunday seminar, beginning at 1145 in the fireside room, I will be introducing a sampling of spiritual exercises that I hope build atmospheric conscientiousness and contemplative trusteeship, and I hope you'll attend. I began this sermon this morning by including memories of some sounds of nature that enchanted me as a child. Sound, of course, natural sound, human sound, are conducted by sound waves in the atmosphere. The ancient Israelites believed that the soul, which they called the nephesh, was located in the neck or the throat of an individual so that the human soul was expressed in speech. To breathe in the atmosphere and breathe out with with voice partners partners one's throat and soul with the spirit. The voicing of praise and lament is a symbiosis of atmosphere and soul. I believe that disciples are called to enact and protect this partnership of soul and spirit. We are called to be trustees of the atmosphere that is intimately involved in all of life and which characterizes our species in our our voice. We are called to the insurgency of the Holy Spirit to seek flourishing and freedom for all of creation. Frog and loon, great-great-grandchild and Bangladeshi family threatened by rising sea levels. I believe We need also to teach our children Genesis 1's enchantment of the sky so that we may all act as atmosphere's trustees. From space, the atmosphere appears as a thin veil, not the thick envelope we imagine from our landbound perspective. Reenchantment of our spiritual abode connects us to the well-being of the atmosphere. Consciousness of its thin fragility 
makes us all the more committed to its preservation and vitality. Deep appreciation of the sky and trusteeship of the atmosphere is a kingdom of God commitment and I believe a disciple's challenge. Lament and enchantment, or lament or enchantment, they alternately anchor us in our human glory for trusteeship and the refreshment of our souls. Many are looking to the church for a message to live by in this case of planetary decline. And I think we can move toward the virtues that define us and define our eulogies, eulogy virtues, distinct from our resume virtues. Service, connection, resistance, and teaching. I believe in this climate crisis, we are to accompany one another on our paths of grief and despair, matching grief with faith, pairing those despairing with the faithful. The atmosphere is the other face of God, of the invisible God. The atmosphere is the other face of the invisible God for our time. So long as we have breath invigorated by the spirit in the sky, we have God's power to both voice our soul's lament and enchant the hearts and minds of others. May it be so for the benefit of our neighbors, our children, and our planet. Amen. Thank you.